this week's parsha is parsha Shemais. And the parsha it says, "Vayigdal hayeled batviyehu levas paroi, vayhilo leven, vatikra Shemai Moshe kimenamai mishisiu." We know that the daughter of Paroi, Vasya Bas Paroi, she saved Meshur Abenu and then she arranged to have him uh, be fed by a Jewish midwife. And eventually the baby was brought back to her and she adopted him as a son and she named him. And the name that she chose for him was Meshur, because he was drawn from the water. When Basya drew Moshe Rabbeinu from the Ar, when his Eva, when his little basket was in the water, she, she was the one that rescued him. She drew him out, saving his life. And therefore, that's why the name that she chose for him was Moshe. And the Medrash in Shemais Rabba says, Mikana tolomad, skaron shal chasadim. You see from this episode in the Torah the greatness of the reward that's due somebody who is a gaimel chesed. Chazal bring many different names that Meshur Abenu went by. The Gemara in Saita says his name was Tuvya, his name was Taib, his name was Avigdar. But the name that sticks, the name that everybody refers to Meshur Abenu with, and the name that appears throughout the entire Torah and throughout the entire Tanakh is Meshur. Meshur Abenu is an Egyptian name. Meshur is a name that was given to him by an Egyptian woman, by Abbas Parai. And yet of all the names, all the beautiful names that Meshur Abenu was Muhtar bin Musan. Nevertheless, the one name that was able to remain with Moshe was the name of the chesed that was performed for him by Basia Bas Parakim and Amayim Mishisiu. I think that the Aymek of the Medrash is that a name of a person is not a random occurrence. We've spoken about it many times. There's an Arizal. And there are other Svarim Akadoshim that say that when a parent names a child by a bris or for a nekeva by a, uh, you know, by an alil atayra, and they choose a name, the name seems to be just a random choice of a name and, you know, whatever it is, it is. And we know that that's not true. When a father, even if the father is not at all a Talmud Chacham, even if he's not Shemr Tairah but when he names his child by a bris, a certain name, that is the name that had a little bit of Ruach HaKadosh for the father to name, for the parent to choose a name in the child, and that name defines the Shayrish HaNesham of that person. Meaning for the rest of that person's life, that person's name really speaks to the essence of that person. When Meshur Abenu is called Meshur Abenu, that's not just the name that was bestowed upon him at a young age by a princess of Parai. That is a name that defined the very essence and the mission of Meshur Abenu. If his name is Meshur, and that's the name that constantly appears in the Torah, that shows that not only 
was it the name that was chosen for him by Bhaskara, but that was the name that would be his mission statement in life. And in fact, the Sepharna, if you look in the Sepharna on the word Mishisio, he says that the reason why we call him Misha, it's to teach us that that is the mission of Misha Rabbeinu. Misha Rabbeinu is not just merely somebody who was drawn himself out of the water. For that, we could have used a different diktuk. Diktuk would have dictated that the name would not be Moshe, it would have been Moshui. Moshui means somebody who in the past was drawn out of the water. Moshe means that he actively will draw others out of future waters, out of future dire straits. Because the mission of Moshe Rabbeinu was to be a Gaimel Chesed in the exact same template as Bashtare did for him. Just like she saved his life, it would be his future mission to extend himself to the degree that he, too, will save the lives of many, many others. And that's why, says the Sephardo, his name was Moshe, because Moshe speaks to this mission of being able to go and save others, just as he was saved by Basya Baspari. And if we examine the way Basya Baspari, in fact, rescued Moshe Rabbeinu, I think that's very telling as to the degree by which Moshe Rabbeinu would likewise be Gaimel Chesed and be saving other people. The Pasuk says in this week's parsha in Parak Beis, Pasuk Hey, that Tishlach es HaMosuk. When Basia Baspari saw that table with a baby in it, she went and she sent out her Amo. The simple Pshute Shomikre is it was the the helper, her handmaiden, her, her assistant. An ama is like an ama ibria, a girl who was sent out. She went out and got and drew the baby. Maybe she went herself in the water to get the basket and bring it back to Baspari. But of course, Rashi brings the Gemara in Saita that says, Rabbi Senu Darshu Lashen Yad. An ama is also Lashen of a Yad, an arm. A hand, that's why we measure an amma. An amma's measurement is an, is an arm. And that the arm of Basya extended many, many amas. What happened to be an extension of her arm, naturally it seems like it wasn't long enough to reach. And if you read the Gemara Kipshutai, what happened was, miraculously, her arm extended many, many ames. We don't know how many, but maybe it was ten ames that the baby was beyond any human reach in the, in the ar. And when she stuck out her arm, the ama extended many ames. The ama, as it were, spread itself out so that she was able to draw Meshach Rabbeinu in. If you look in one of the famous Shmuzin or Chaim Shmulevitz in the Sichais Musar, he says it's in it's in the, the fifth Sicha on Tafshin Lamed Aleph. He says as follows: He says, Pashtus, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. We're all familiar. There are many miracles in Mitzrayim. This is just one of many miracles that she stuck out her arm, and the arm miraculously extended way beyond 
the human capacity, the human distance that an arm could stretch. But Rav Chaim says that's not the pshat in the Medrash. That's not the pshat in Ishtarva Ames The way he learns it is that a human being, he says, has so many, so much latent potential within that we don't tap into. You know, there are many studies that are done how much of the human brain we use. We use like maybe a fraction, a small fraction, maybe if we're lucky, 5% of our brain. And then we say, Atkan, that's all we could do. We can't, we, we're not smart. We don't have that ability to do more than that. And so we're sort of misguided and we say, that's enough. We can't do any more. But the human being, the capacity, the mental capacity is, is beyond anything that we could fathom, how smart we really could be. I always say there are, there are children in Belgium. I don't know if there are any Belgians in the room, but Belgian kids have some uncanny, freak, uncanny, freaky ability to know seven languages well. You know, we're lucky if we know one language well. They know seven languages. They know Flemish, and they know Yiddish, and they know Hebrew, and they know English, and they know German, and they know... How do they do that? Are all kids born in Belgium, like, naturally brilliant? Are they natural? Are they all like these, like, you know, Vilma Gains running around Belgium? How do they do it? The answer is, we could also do it. It's just nobody taught us that when we were a little child, we weren't crammed with information, so we're not, so we don't know that. So we think, oh, you know, those kids, are, they're unbelievable. Those, but we could do it also. It's just nobody ever pushed us, nobody ever taught us when we're young. They just, you know, sort of just taught us basic English, and that was it. Because the human mind is great. The human body is great. You know, there are stories that are told about children who were able to, like, lift cars when their fathers were trapped under the wheel of a car. A young child is able to somehow find the kayak to lift up the car enough for his father to, to pull his foot out. How is that shayach? How is a young child, a young child is barely able to lift up a chair? How can he lift up a, a ton of a car? The answer is that a human being has so much potential, it's just that Nebuch, we don't tap into it. We sort of just, we stop. We say, we can't do this. We've already passed in for ourselves that we're limited in our kaifas and our kishrenas, and we settle for enough, this is enough, moderation is good. I don't have to like overcome, I don't have to overstretch myself. Whatever it is, it is. And Rav Chaim says there's so much kayak that we have within us that's untapped potential. We never bother to drill deep inside of us for the oil to start spritzing out. So we don't know how wealthy we have, we have it. We don't know how many natural resources lurk within but if a person would be able to really explore his greatness, you would be amazed at how much kayak a person has in his premiums. And so Chaim says an amazing thing. He says that the truth of the matter is that nothing miraculous happened with Basya Basparu. What happened was that normally a person that sees a basket like out of their reach it would be in the right away, it's too far, I can't do it, let's go home. 
What Basia Baspari did was she extended herself naturally to her fullest capacity. She went and she tried as hard as she could to get to the basket, and that was able to allow her to reach the basket. What ordinarily people would right away, you know, cut and chase and just say, I'm not, it's not possible. She actually said, let's see, maybe it is possible. And maybe if I just stretch myself out a little more and a little more and a little more, I got, there I got it. That was the Mila of Basya Baspare. She stretched out her hand and naturally she was able within the realm of Teva, she was able to reach as far as she could and be able to, to accomplish a great thing. She made the miracle happen herself within her own body, within her own capabilities, she was able to stretch herself out to the fullest, maximize her potential, and accomplish this great act of Minamaya Mishisiu. And that is what she immortalized in Maisha Rabbeinu. When she called him Maisha, she was saying, whatever I did, this that I was able to naturally draw out, be minatzel all of my kaychas, to max out all of my strength, that is my wish for you. And that is going to be your mission in life as well, to do what you can, as much as you can, as hard as you can, and you will accomplish great things when you do that. The Kotzka used to say from this svart, from Basya Baspare, we learn that never assume that a task is impossible, he used to say. If you reach out, you can do it. You just have to try so many times we just don't try. And if we would try and not be scared to try, we would be able to accomplish great things. But we always, we chicken out. And we say, it's impossible. It's not impossible, it's very doable. The only difference between us and let's say people that are super successful is that people that are super successful, they go and they try to the nth degree and they dive in, but they put themselves out to the degree that they're able to see success. And the people that are limited in their success is their own problem. They question for themselves that they are limited. There's no reason in the world why they should feel that way, except for the fact that they, maybe people told them that they are limited, or they told themselves that. But if we would be able to understand the greatness that we have, and the unlimited potential that a human being possesses, we would be able to accomplish greatness with our life beyond anything that we ever expected, beyond anything that anyone else ever expected of us. Somebody once told me a great vart. It's not, a, not necessarily a Jewish vart. But they say that scientists are baffled by the bumblebee. The bumblebee is like a big fat bee with like a lot of hair on it. It's very, you know, aerodynamically, there's no reason why a bumblebee should be able to fly. Just on its two, if you, they, they, the scientists did a study. You know, a, a fly is a, a lightweight, you know, being. It could fly, the wings could hold it, and so could, you know, a, a bee and a, a, you know, a mosquito. These are lightweight things, but a bumblebee is like a big. You know, it's too heavy. The body is too heavy, and the wings are just too fat to be able to pick itself up and to be able to fly. But yet it does fly. How does it do it? 
How is it able to fly if the scientists all passed it? It's impossible. How does a bumblebee fly? And the tarot says that nobody ever told the bumblebee that it couldn't fly. If somebody would have told the bumblebee that it couldn't fly, it wouldn't fly. It would just stay as a stay as like a you know a regular bug on the floor. But nobody told it that. So Mela tried flying. You know what? It could fly. And that's the way we are also. We're all this way. We have so much potential inside of us, but it remains only potential because we never nutzit ice, as they say in Yiddish. We never actually, you know, utilize it. We never tap into it. We're afraid, or we're, we're just um, unaware of the fact that we are so great. We don't know the, the fact that we could all finish us. We don't know that we could master halacha. We don't know that we could be a, a tremendous bucky and you know in whatever we set our minds to. And so we just settle for you know enough. It's good. It's good what I'm doing. People are happy with me. I'm happy with myself. It's good. But if a person would really know how great he has, what his mission could be, what his potential truly is, if he would only try, he would be shocked. We would all be shocked. The Chavitz Chaim says an amazing part. He says, also very similar to what we've been saying with the Kotzker, that, you know, a human being, we learn from Basya Baspara, you just stretch out your arm, maximize your, your reach, and you'll be able to accomplish anything that you want in life. He says, imagine had Basya Baspara just been misyayish and said, I can't do it, it's too far away, look, it's all the way out there, I can't reach it. Nothing would have happened. We wouldn't have a safer Shemais. We'd have nothing to be Mavrisedra this Shabbos and for the next couple of weeks because there would be no, there would be no Meishrabbeinu. And if there's no Meishrabbeinu, there's no Aaron, there's no, there's no Esther Machis, there's no Yitzhak Mishayim, there's no Kriyas Yamsuf, there's no Ma'antaira, there's no Midbar. It's nothing. If she hadn't extended herself, we would have nothing. There would be no Nisim, no Niflais, no Kal Yisrael. It's all because she stretched herself out and she accomplished what seemingly was an impossible task, but because she tried and because she really put 100% of herself into it, she was able to do it. That's why we have a whole Sefer Shemais. That's why we have a whole Tyre. That's why I have a Kal Yisrael. The Chavitz Chaim says something which is like a, it's like a Hasidish of arts. He says that that's the chat in the Pasuk, Vayar Yisrael Asayada Gedayla. He says, when Klai Yisrael saw the Yad you know what the Yad is not? The truth of Shemikra means the Rabbi Nishleilam's Yad His power. Yad means the Yad the outstretched arm of Basya Bas Parai. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu enabled Basya Bas Parai to stretch out her arm. The whole story of Mitzrayim, of the Nisim, of the Neflois, of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the Yisaitis Amuna, that we have is all because of this Yad that Basya Bas Parai extended into the Yar to reach out and to get Meshach Abenu. That's the reason why we're here today. And that's the reason why Meshach Abenu was so successful. Meshach Abenu, because he was named Meshach, the Lashon Asid, he had a mission to save Klai Yisrael, but not Stam. 
he was following the exact same way that Basia Basparas saved him through extending herself, through stretching out her arm as far as her arm could reach, and doing the impossible, that's how Moshe Rabbeinu made his life, his life's work was exactly the same way as Basia Basparas. We find this over and over again. Meshe Rabbeinu went lefnim Meshur Sadin. You know, the Lashon of Gemilas Chesed. Chesed, we speak about Chesed all the time. Chesed is a very, is, is a word that's directly related to the word Chesed. Chesed and Chesed is the same thing. All the Svarim speak about this commonality. What is a Chesed? If you look in the Mesul Sisharim, the Mesul Sisharim's favorite of all of the, the rungs of the Sulam his favorite rung is by far Chasidus. The whole tachlis of the Sefer, if you look in the wonderful Iyunim uh, of, uh, you know, that's that, um, that uh, a Pirish of Mesot Yesharim by who wrote the Iyunim of Mesot Yesharim? Thank you. Rechatzko Sarna. Rechatzko Sarna, the Rashiv of Hebron, wrote a Sefer Iyunim, an unbelievable classic commentary on the Ramchal, on the Mesot Yesharim. And he brings there that the, the Chasidos, that's like the ideal to the Ramchal. That's why the Ramchal starts a Sefer off, you say the Chasidos. The whole topic of the Sefer is really to focus on a Chasid. And what is a Chasid? Chasidos is his biggest chapter by far. It's like if all the other chapters are three pages, one after another, this is like 20 pages. What is a Chasid? A Chasid says the Ramchal, is somebody who goes with Nimishur Hadin. He goes above and beyond the call of duty. He sees that the Rabbi Shalom likes something and he says, wait a minute, if the Rabbi Shalom likes this, if he's telling me to do a mitzvah with this chapsa, I should go above and beyond to really make him happy, to give him nachas ruach liyaitzrayim. A chassid, by definition, is somebody that goes above and beyond the call of duty. And that's what chassid is. Chesed is not some, you know, I do something if it works for me. Chesed is, I extend myself further than I ever thought I could for somebody else. I go with nimishur sadin. Not just I, I stay within my comfort zone and, you know, like it or lump it. I go outside of my comfort zone and I go beyond anything that's expected of me. That's what a chesed is and that's what chesed is. Look at Meshur Abenu. Meshur Abenu was a prince in Mitzrayim. He was living mamish as a child of Paray. He was living in the lap of luxury. He had whatever he wanted to eat, to drink. He had a beautiful palace to live in. He had all the amenities that Egypt at the time had to offer. He could have lived a beautiful life secluded in the palace and not ever stepped outside and looked at the wretched conditions of his brothers in 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 Yisrael, outside the palace, he could have stayed. He didn't have to. Nobody expected it of him, but he decided that he was going to go with Nimishur Sadin. He got he got mature. He got a little older, and he went out. He left his comfort zone, literally and figuratively, and he decided to go and seek out. As Rashi says, Nasan Aina Valibayliyas Mesa Aleim. He looked he looked at them and he felt for them. 
And he wanted to protect them. He wanted to commiserate with them. He wanted to do something for them. Even at great risk, he extended himself beyond the normal capacity that anyone would normally do. Nobody would do that. To go out of your comfort zone, you're safe, you're secure, and I'm going to go and put my neck on the line literally for some people that I don't even have to associate with, I don't have to identify with. Moshe Rabbeinu, in his pursuit of chesed, in the, in the role that Basibas Pari did for him, he duplicated that role. And he also extended himself beyond. And he was able to thereby show his role as the Mashiach Shal Yisrael. And it goes on and on. Every story about Mashiach Rabbeinu. He went when the daughters of Yisrael were, were being tormented and being abused by the people by the well. He went and protected them and saved them and drew water for them. He didn't have to do that. Could have just like looked the other way. But that also was something that defined Mashiach Rabbeinu and that obviously had a ripple effect that enabled him to get married to his wife and to have children and to eventually come back to Mitzrayim. He came back to Mitzrayim and again he went to Parai risking his life. And, and this went on throughout all of the Arboim Shanaba Midbar. Forty years he had people that were complaining to him. He could have very easily said, that's it, I retire enough. But he went above and beyond constantly he literally stretched out his hand on many occasions. When it came to the Kriyas Yamsuf, to split the Yam, he stretched out his hand. He went beyond. When they were fighting on Molek, when he stretched out his hands, Lamala, Klai Yisrael were victorious. He was showing Klai Yisrael that the way that you win a Melchama the way that you split the sea is by doing something extra, by going with Nimishur by extending yourself like She did the impossible because she was able to try her hardest. And when you try your hardest in life, when you do more than is expected of you, that's when you touch and when you taste success. That's what the Isai that Mesh Rabbeinu lived his life by was. <laughs> and that's what we learn ourselves from Moshe Rabbeinu Moshe Rabbeinu was a person who did everything right he was a person that used all of his kaifas we said last week how the Rambam writes that Roy Kal Echad Yisrael we could all be tzaddikim like Moshe Rabbeinu, and everybody jumps on the Rambam. Is that true? Uh, we could be we could be Moshe Rabbeinu. We, is it really Shaykh Moshe Rabbeinu, the Ava Nevi'im person who was Karolana Sayam, who brought the Torah down from Shemayim? Is that possible? Is it really humanly possible to? Isn't the Rambam like, you know, exaggerating a little bit? We could all be a tzaddik like Moshe Rabbeinu. And Rebbe Chan Vassarman said, it doesn't mean, the Rambam never meant that we could mamish be Meishu, we can't be Meishu Rabbeinu. There was one Meishu Rabbeinu in the world and that was it. What the Rambam means to say is that the same way that Meishu Rabbeinu was Menatzel his Kaychus, he utilized all the strength that he had in his Ramachivar, Meshach Eden. he said, this is what I have and I am going to maximize 
whatever the Rabbi Shalom gave me, I'm going to try to use as much as I can. He was just a little bit short of, he almost reached the, the top of the, of the asakas that a human being could be masig in this world, of nevuah, of chachma. He was just a little bit off. He, mamish, was able to maximize, maximize his kaychas. That's what we have to be able to do. With our kaychas, with our personal strengths that we have, we're limited, we are limited, Taka. We're not all brilliant, and we're not all able to do amazing, you know, super things with our life as Maishra could, as the Ramam could, as the Kiveyer could. But with our own kayach, as the Wuhan once said to somebody, he says, you just have to use your kayach and your mayach. You have a kayach and a mayach. You have potential, you have power, and you have a brain. Now, our brains, you know, we could take tests and IQ tests and, you know, and, and we might not be as brilliant as the guy next to us. With our mayach that the Rabbi Shalom gave us, he's not expecting us to do more than we can with our brain, but he's expecting us to use our brain as much as we can. And our brain is a wonderful, very, very sophisticated tool. We don't realize how sophisticated it is because we're convinced that we're not as smart as, as everybody. We are. That's the secret. And we're a lot stronger than we think also. We don't have to be as strong as, as, a, as a huge gibar, but within our realm of Gevurah, we have to try to utilize our Gevurah. And that's what the Ramah meant, that Roy kal adam liyais tzadik in our own way, in our own capacity, we have to try to maximize our God-given strengths. And if we are, then we're doing very well. That's all the Rebbe Shalom wants from us. And the Pasuk says, V'yata Yisrael, in Sefer Tabarim, Meishra Rabbeinu says, a famous line, what does HaKadosh Baruch want from you? A few things that Moshe Rabbeinu says that Rabbi Hashem wants. Like, what's the big deal? You could do it. And Chazal say, is is a huge thing. It's not simple to be Yerah Shemayim. So Meshavin is making out like it's child's play. Like, what does Hashem want? He just wants Yerushalayim. Is Yerushalayim something that's so poshut? Sigmar says, in Gabi Meshavinu Milsa Zutrasihi. As far as Meshavinu is concerned, it was. It was a simple thing. Sigmar is a muscle of a person, you know, very wealthy. You ask him something, you know, for uh, for $1,000, for him it's not a big deal. But if you ask somebody that doesn't have any money for $1,000, that's a huge thing. But still, it's a little bit. You know, everybody asks on this Gemara. What, so, so, but Meshur Rabbein is not talking to himself in the mirror. Meshur Rabbein is talking to Klal Yisrael. Maybe for him it's a small thing. But he's talking to Klal Yisrael. Klal Yisrael is a big thing. We don't have Yerush Shemayim as, as he does. And so, he's, but he's still making that like a simple thing. So, I wanted to say, B'derach Drush, that there's another Chazal on this Pasuk. The Gemara is talking about how a person has to say a hundred brachas every day. And so when Moshe Rabbeinu says ma, he really says Hashem is expecting a hundred. And I know this is purely drush, as far as drush could take it. But I was thinking that it could be Moshe Rabbeinu was telling Kla Yisrael, you don't look at me 
and say that you have to have your Shemaim like me. But all you have to do is, what does HaKadosh Baruch want from you? He wants Meir. He wants 100% of what your potential is. And that should be easy for you. You can't reach my potential. I'm Meir Shabbeinu. For me, I have, I'm a millionaire, so for me it's not such a big deal. But you don't have what I have. But that's okay also. It should still be simple on your madrega, because as long as you're putting in your mayor, as long as you're putting in 100% of your kishrainers on your level, then you're royally sadik and You could do it also. It doesn't have to be on the madrega of Meish That's not shaya. But you could be Meish You could be like me. If only you try your hardest, if only you extend yourself like I always extended myself, maximizing my potential, pushing myself further to accomplish great things in life, then you could be that also. You could accomplish that also. You just have to put in ma. You have to have the maya. You have to have this constant rutzing to maximize who I am, maximize my time, maximize my heart, maximize my maya. With that, a person could be Maish Rabbeinu. Wanted to say a few stories that speak to this Indian of how, when it comes to doing chesed, how being a gaimel chesed should be in the tzura of a basi baspara and a Maish Rabbeinu. Was Rashiva and Tervadas, and he had many Talmidim. And one of his Talmidim was an older gentleman who was in a hospital. And he was very sick, he was like in and out of consciousness. And he his son was sitting by his bedside, and all of a sudden, like he snapped into a conscious moment. And he says, you know, I think I would feel a lot better if her palm would come to my hospital room and give me a birchaz kaya. So the son said, like, all right. And then he, then he, he snapped back into his, uh, into his sick mode, into his unconsciousness. And the son was hoping next time he comes to, hopefully he'll forget that request. Because I don't want to be Matriya for Rashiva to come from, from Brooklyn. I don't know where the hospital is. Let's say the hospital is in Manhattan. That's a tearful Yaseira for, you know, he probably is going to forget about it. So I'm not even going to mention it to Rapam. The next day, again, his father, you know, was, he was sitting by his father's bedside, and his father again comes into a moment of lucidity, and he says, did you ask Rapam, did you ask Rashiva to come? And he saw right away that his father was not going to let this go so quickly. So he had no choice, and he went, he went to Rapam, he says, listen, I, I, I hate being Matriya through Shiva, but my father is very sick, and he feels in his mind that if you get a bracha from the Rashiva, you know, he would really have a, have a refuah. And I don't know what to do, and he, he asked me twice already, and I'm afraid it's really, you know, it's, it's weighing on his head, and what should I do? So Rapam says, you know, I would love to go to the hospital. There's only one problem. He says, I'm a Kayin, and I'm not allowed to go to the hospital. Not allowed. A Kayin's not allowed to go into a hospital because there might be, you know, corpses in the hospital. And that should have been the end of the story. <coughs> if it was me, I would, that would have been the end of the story. I'm a Kayin, I have a tour. I don't go to hospitals. Tell your dad, I'm sorry, but halacha prohibits me to go to a hospital. That's it. The end of the story. Rapam sat and thought about this for a second. 
And he says, I have an idea. He says, is there a window in your father's hospital room? So, so yeah, there's a, it's right by the window. He says, would your father be able to get out of bed for a few moments at 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon? He says, yeah, I think so. He says, okay, at 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, Bidiyuk, stand your father by the window, and I will be downstairs. Rapam made the trip to Manhattan, and he stood downstairs by the window. The father looked down. He saw Rapam. Rapam was like waving to him, and he was like, you know, throwing a brach at him. And he was so happy, he went back into his bed. And slowly, from that moment on, he started having like a complete refuel, miraculous recovery. He was able to go out of the hospital. The doctors didn't understand. The doctors, it's impossible. This guy's never going out of the hospital again. But he was able to. He felt that he needed a Rapam or Rapam. But the greatness of the story is that Rapam was not happy with just saying, I did what I can, and that's it. Rapam was a chassid. And a chassid does his chassid with nimishur Adin. And so he says, I know that I could get off by saying I'm a Kayin, and that's what we would all do. We have a mentor, we could go to sleep easily, we, you know, we did everything we could, we can't do any more. Rapam thought, maybe I could stretch myself out a little bit, maybe I could go beyond what everyone is normally accustomed to thinking, I could think outside the box a little bit, I could be creative and do a chesed that way. And he did. He went beyond. He was a tishlach esamosa. He saw, let's see if I could extend myself more than I should properly, normally be able to. I'm going to do more. I have to do more. I need to do more. That's what Klal Yisrael is. Klal Yisrael is a nation of goymai chasadim. Look at around. Look at around at the organization. Just to digress, you know, there's no organizational network of any people in the world anywhere near what Klal Yisrael has. The, the, the organizations that we have, the Gemachs, Hatzalah, and, and Chaveirim, you know, and, and all the Biker Chaylam organizations, just going beyond. A Jew could be very happy, you know, with sitting in his own house, doing his own thing. He doesn't need to join Hatzalah and to make these calls on, you know, freezing cold nights like tonight and running all over the place, bringing the person to the hospital, staying there until you know, the doctor sees him and then signing him out and all the paperwork. You know what it takes to be a person in Atzala? It's beyond. It's mamish beyond normal human expectation. Not only him, but his mishpacha. His mishpacha also you know, suffer from it. You never, your father at any time, it might be at the Pesach Seder, it might be on a Yantif, it might be on, you know, by a Hanukkah Masiba, it might be on a Shabbos Friday night, but whatever you're doing, in the middle of your graduation, you get a call, he's out. Beyond. It's mamish taking your hand and going beyond anything that you could normally think you could do, but people do it, many people do it. Chaveyrim also, Chaveyrim is an amazing organization. You know, your car breaks down in the middle of the night, I had this a couple of, a year or two ago, we were coming back from the country, and I went to Kesar to Davin, uh, a late Mayrev, and I uh, left the lights on, and the, the engine was off, the lights were on, and the car, I guess, had gone through too much that day, going up to the Catskills and back, and it just died. 
And it was like late at night. We just wanted to go to sleep. We just wanted to get the kids into bed. And like, and the car was dead. I didn't know who to call. And then I remember I have Khadirim's number, and they came, and they with that they didn't charge anything. They just were just the nicest. It's it's his twelve o'clock also. This guy, yeah, I'm sure he was doing something at home or at work, and he came and he and he gave me a charge, a boost, and that was it. We had a guy in Yeshiva once a few years ago that he the, a nightmare situation happened to him. He dropped his keys. His whole, you know, all of his keys, his car keys and his home keys and his dorm keys and all the keys that he had into the sewer, you know, into the sewer grate. And, you know, that's my nightmare. Getting out of my car, dropping all my keys. That's my life. You know, I wouldn't be able to get anywhere. And so, you know, he came to me and said, what should I do? Like, well, my keys, they're gone. I said, all right, you're going to have to make up new keys. You know, I went back to learning. That was it. I said, you know what, you want maybe call Khadir. I don't know, I don't see how they could do anything, but you know, try, you know, that was it. I, I, I threw the ball over to Khadirim. Khadirim, there's a Hasidish guy that came, and he opens up his toolbox after he was told what happened. He had like a magnet, like a strong, powerful magnet with like a fishing wire, and he starts lowering the magnet down into the sewer, and he brings up the guy's keys. It's beyond. Beyond, like I, you know, it's it's over, finished. Like, you know what do you, you can't? It's it's in the sewer. It's finished. But there are people that do their chesed lefnimishers, and then they want to help. They're looking. They're not looking to be yitz. They're looking to help. They actually want to go beyond their normal human capacity, beyond their what anyone would expect of them, and say, "I'm doing more for you because I want to do more for you. I want to do more for you. I want to accomplish something for you." It's a unique mindset. But it means that a person sees how great he could be if he'd only want, or if he'd only reach. He could accomplish any task that he sets himself out to accomplish. He could do it. We, if we don't do it, it's just because we're, like, we're either lazy or we're insecure or we, or we, we, we lack, lack a certain self-confidence in what our abilities are for whatever reason. But you should know, and I should know, that our accomplishments potentially are enormous. Now it's just a matter of being minatzel those kaifas. The potential that we have to do anything is so great that it's scary how great it is, because it means that there's going to be a tain on us someday if we don't accomplish great things. Rav Huttner was asked once by a, an old Talmud of his from Canada if he would give a faher to a nephew of his, of this Canadian uh, Talmud. His nephew was a, lost his father and he needed to go into a base medrash, into a yeshiva. He asked her friend to give him a faher, to give him a, an, a, an entrance exam to come into Chaim And Rav Huttner gave him the faher and he accepted him in into yeshiva and occasionally, whenever the uncle would come down from Canada to visit his nephew, he'd always go into Rav Huttner's office, and they would talk in learning for a long time, and they were very close. They had a very you know, warm relationship. And this was going on for a while. Come down to visit, Shiva, you know, take the nephew out a little bit, and talk to him, and make sure everything was okay. One day, there was... A winter that Rav Huttner was in yeshiva the whole time because he had broke, he broke, he broke his leg, 
and he was recuperating, so he was basically home the whole winter's month. And it was a very big snowstorm, and the uncle came in again, and he, they went to Rav Huttner's house, and, and he went, then the uncle went back home. That Sunday, after like a, a weekend from, you know, spanning from, let's say, Thursday when the uncle came until Sunday, that Sunday, Rav Huttner called this buffer into, into his office, which is very rare. Rav Huttner, you know, would very rarely call a younger buffer into his office, and he says, I want to tell you something. Your uncle is a very great person. He says, your uncle is a rabbi in yeshiva in Canada, and he always comes and he always pays a little bit of money, you know, for your tuition because, you know, your mother is an almana, she can't afford to pay the full tuition. So he supplements it. He normally gives me a nice check, but nothing outrageous. Says this past time he came and he gave me like a, a very large sum of money, much greater than ever, for your tuition. And... I asked him, I said, you're a Rebbe, how could you afford to pay this amount? So he said, he said in Yiddish, he said, a Yid has to always stretch himself out. A Yid, by definition, is somebody who always stretches, he said it like matter-of-factly, as if it's a double puzzle, like everybody, everybody lives by this creed. Like, you know, a Yid, that one's unstrengthened. You have to stretch yourself out. Uh, you, have to, you, have to, um, you have to always stretch yourself out. So, and Rafundar, like he said, when I, when I heard him say that, it really jolted me. And there was a Malava Malka on Matsai Shabbos that somebody that I owe a lot of Akaras type to was organizing, and he asked me several times if I could come and participate. And I always told him, no, I have a broken leg, and there's a big snowstorm this weekend. It's very icy. I don't want to hurt, really hurt myself again. And so I said already, I'm not coming. I'm basically, I'm not coming. But when I heard your uncle's line about a yid unstrung, and that a yid has to always stretch himself out, he says, it haunted me, that line. And I knew that if I didn't go to this Mlava Malka, I would never be at peace with myself. So the whole Shabbos I was, you know, prepared to go. I decided that I was going to go to the Mlava Malka, even though it was a tremendous tircha for me. And on Matzai Shabbos, I had one of my Talmidim come, and he dug out my car, and he, he helped me into the car, and very slowly we drove through the streets of Brooklyn until we got to the Mlava Malka, and Baruch Hashem, I went there, and it was the, the person arranging it was very appreciative, and he sat me, you know, with the other Rabbeim and Rabbanim and Rosh Hashivas, and it was a wonderful, wonderful moment, a wonderful event. And I just want you to know how much Hakaris HaTayv I have to your uncle for giving me this yisai that a yid always has to stretch himself out. You always have to extend yourself further than you think. Further than natural, nobody would expect your foot to go with a broken leg, but I realized from your uncle that I needed to do more. I had to try at least to do more than I naturally thought that I could do. Always giving a little bit extra. You know, just to, it's a nice tie-in. Your foot has a different part. He says, it says, Ashir Hashem I sing to Hashem with my life. Azamra lelekai b'aydi. And I, again, I sing 
to Hashem, Ba'idi means while I'm still alive. Ani, while I'm still here. Rapotnev says a different bar. He says, Azamrilikai Ba'idi means that I sing to Hashem. You know how I sing to Hashem? With giving ay, giving a little bit more, a little bit extra. That little extra reach, that little extra extension that I do. That's the ultimate song, the ultimate shira to for giving you life is by giving a little bit more of yourself, by always pushing yourself a drop more. A lot of times, you know, you're sitting, let's say you're writing out a check for tzedakah, so whatever it is that you could afford, but let's say it's $18. If you make the check out for $20 instead of $18, that's an amazing accomplishment. It's an amazing accomplishment. Now, Maish used to say that it's a, people give high dollars for, you know, for tzedakah. It's, they think it's a schus for, you know, chayim. You know, there's a much bigger schus to give mace dollars to tzedakah than high dollars to tzedakah. <laughs> you know, mace dollars, we're talking, now we're talking, you know, $440, that's real. $18 is shach. So, you know, it's high dollar, you know. A person, if you can extend yourself a little more, you don't have to give mace dollars. You can give $20, $25. That little extra is accomplishing the world. You know why? Not because it's an extra $2 to the pushka. But it shows you that you have the ability to push yourself a little bit further. And that is, that's a different world. That's a different universe. Once you break out of your, your little box that you have comfortably made for yourself and you're able to reach beyond that, you show yourself that you could shatter that glass ceiling and you could reach further and higher and greater than you ever thought you could. It's chinuch for yourself. Now, I grew up in Long Beach and there were a lot of very interesting people in Long Beach. But very, looking back on it, it was really a, a very good place to, you know, to, to have been raised. Besides for, of course, my, you know, my, my family who, are, who I've spoken about often, but there were a lot of very unique personalities you know, in Long Beach growing up. Very, you know, some very affluent people, some very powerful people. Um, tremendous Balit Staka, people very involved in organizational life in, you know, in America and beyond. And it was just an interesting place, a small town, but with a lot of very special people. One person that used to sit right next to me by davening in, in Young Israel of Long Beach uh, growing up, was his name was, uh, he was a rob, his name was Rabbi Dr. Philip Zimmerman. And he was an older Yid, um, and he was Nifter a few years ago. He was the owner of Frida Vitamins. Has anyone ever heard of Frida, F-R-E-E-D-A? It's a kosher vitamin company. Uh, it used to be very big, I, don't, I hope it still is. But he was, he started it, he was a pharmacist, he was a chemist, and he, you know, he, he built up this company. He was a very chashavid, very chashavid, he raised a very beautiful mishpacha. And he used to tell me a story, um, and it's been published since, but he used to tell me that when he was in the war, during the early, in 1953, he was a, a chaplain in the U.S. Army. And one day in 1953, as the Korean War was starting to really expand, a soldier, a Jewish soldier comes in. He was stationed in Georgia, in an army base in Georgia. 
And a, a soldier came in, a Jewish soldier, and asked him, he says, Chaplain, Rabbi, you have to help me. I'm in a big, big, I'm in, I'm in a terrible situation. And he produces three letters. He says one letter was the fact that he was just drafted, he, he's supposed to go to Korea. Now, Korea was a very dangerous place to be in. You don't want to, if you can get out of going to Korea, you want to get out of going to Korea. Okay, but it's a war, you have to go. If that's where you're called, you have to go. But he also had two letters from both his parents who were Holocaust survivors. He had letters from the cardiologist of both his mother and his father. They both had a very bad heart issues. And the cardiologist writes in the letters that if they find out that you're going to Korea, they're both going to die. They will not be, their hearts will not be able to take the stress. He was a ben yachi, he was an only child, and they won't be able to handle it. If you get sent off to Korea, that will be the end of both your mother and your father. He says, Rabbi, you have to help me. Now, chaplains don't normally do these types of things because, you know, chaplains are supposed to daven with the soldiers and administer last rites or something. They're not supposed to be involved in the, in the actual nuts and bolts of the army decisions. They're, they're, they're rabbis. But he says, listen, this person is coming to me. I'm going to try doing whatever I can do. And it's Pikuach Nefesh. He, this chaplain came to him on, like, Erev Shabbos. I mean, the this, this soldier came to him on Erev Shabbos. So Shabbos morning, he walked from his tent in the, in, or his home, whatever his apartment in the, in the base, to the, to the commanding officer of the army base, which was six miles away. He walked, Rabbi Zimmerman walked from his, his place six miles to get to the army commanding officer. And he had in his pocket these three letters. And he comes in to the, he knocks on the, off, on the commanding officer's door. And he says, chaplain, the officer says, why are you here so early? So he says, you have to do me a favor. There's a, a soldier that, you know, that a Jewish soldier and his parents are very sick. They have heart disease and they, you know, if they, and he's, he has a letter that he has to go off to Korea. And if, if he goes off to Korea, his parents are going to die. You have to help me. So the commanding officer got very upset at the chaplain. And he says, do you realize that the United States of America is at war? We're at war. I can't worry about the guy's parents. You're at war. You go where you're told to go. That's, that's what the army is all about. It's not a free-for-all. He was sent, he, he sent to Korea. He's got to go to Korea, period. And then he gets up, this commanding officer. He takes Rabbi Zimmerman's lapel. And on the lapel of chaplains, there was like a Sarasa Dibris. There was uh, two tablets. It says, your two tablets over here, they're made of stone. You know why they're made of stone? Because you can't break stone. Stone is something that the Mahus shouldn't be able to be broken. He says, my laws in the U.S. Army are also like that. They also cannot be broken. So you have no ability to change what was ordered of this soldier. He must go to Korea. Okay, so Rabbi Zimmerman says, thank you very much for your time, officer. I tried my best. And he turns around and he starts walking. So the commanding officer says, chaplain, where's your jeep? He says, I don't have a jeep. He says, well, you don't have a jeep. Your, your, you, your barracks are, you know, miles and miles, six miles away. 
He says, I know, but it's my Sabbath. He says, a Jew is not allowed to drive a car on, on the Sabbath, and he can't be driven in a car on the Sabbath. So I walked. He says, wait a minute. He says, you walked yourself six miles this morning in order to help a soldier that you don't even know to get out of the army, to get out of going to Korea? He says, yeah, and now I'm walking six miles back. He says, come into my, into my office. And they go back in, and he looks over the paperwork, and he arranges that this soldier should be, instead of going to Korea, he should be stationed at Governor's Island in New York. It's, one of, it's a, like a little island off of Manhattan where they had an army base. He says, and he must go every single night to visit his parents. That was part of the, the, the tzavah. Part of the command is he's going to be re, restationed at Governor's Island in New York, which is near his parents, and every night he must go and visit both his parents. That's what it means to be able to extend yourself. He could have said, it's six miles, I'll wait till Sunday, I'll drive Sunday. When people see, when this Daesh commanding officer sees that a Yid is able to go six miles, go not just the extra mile, but an extra six miles for somebody else, to be able to change a person, to be able to help a person, to be able to save a person, that's what a Yid is. A Yid always has to stretch himself out a little bit further. I want to give you a little more. I want to try to help you, not even, if, even if it's not so comfortable for me. I'm going to try to do more for you. I'm going to try to think harder for you and do something better for you. That's what Bashi Pari teaches us. And that's what Meshra Abeno lived his life doing for Kal Yisrael. And that's what every year, if he wants to be excited like Meshra Abeno, he can be it. If only he dreams the impossible dream, if only he wants to extend himself further than his natural capacity, further than he thinks he's able to, and I go a little bit more, if at the end of first Seder, instead of just closing my Gemara, I decide I'm going to learn another two minutes, another five minutes, that's, that's a different world. That's a different world because it shows yourself that you're able to stretch beyond. It's not just the limitations of my comfort zone, but I want to go a little bit beyond that's a chassid. That's true gemilas chassid. Whoever is in this room today, Baruch Hashem, we have a nice island today. You are definitely there. You are definitely people that are able to stretch themselves to the nth degree. It's the last day of this man. Everyone could have very easily justified, you know, I have a final, I got to start preparing, packing to get home. I have to, you know, do a million things now. Nobody would blame you. But the fact that you're here shows that you're a person of integrity, that you're a person that pushes themselves to the Sibula Basra until the last moment, until the last moment of this man, you want to be here, you want to show that you're here. You extended yourself to the end. That means that you have this capacity to push yourself to the end. That's an amazing thing. And I think many of us, if not all of us, are going to be going home for Ben Azmanim. 
And at home, it's very important to utilize what we spoke about today. At home, there are so many opportunities to do chesed. Tomorrow's Arab Shabbos, your home, offer to go shopping. I know maybe you'd want to go to the base medrash and learn, you want to you know, do your own thing. You're home a few days a year. So go and say to your mother, I want to go and do shopping. Give me the shopping list. I want to go to the supermarket. I want to set the table for Shabbos. I want to clear the table on Friday night. I want to help with my younger sibling. I want to do homework with him or her. Let me fix something. Let me clean my room. Let me, let me, what can I do for you? I want to stretch myself out for you. Do you know what a Roshim that will make on your parents if you do that? Do you know what your parents will say? Ashreinu, that we have a son who we sent off to yeshiva and, we, and he came back a mensch. He came back a person who wants to be extra special. That he's not just looking to slap off and do the bare minimum. He wants to go and do amazing things. He wants to go beyond what normal children are expected to do. If we're married, there's always opportunities to do chesed. There's always opportunities to help your wife to sweep, to take out the garbage, to, to do shopping, to do cooking. Whatever it is that you could do, do it. Do it. There's no such thing as covered when it comes to the house. There's a famous story, you know, with Rav Gifter that a, you know, a Talmud, a Ben Taira came and said to him, you know, it's not fair, you know, my wife... She, uh, you know, she wants me to take out the garbage. I'm a Ben Tyra. I don't do that. It's like, let her do that. So if Gifter says, you're 100% right. And that night, there was a knock on the door. And who was standing there? Of Gifter. And they said, what is Rashiva doing? He said, I want to take out the garbage. I want to have this chus to take out your garbage. There's no covet when it comes to it. It's not covet. The biggest covet is to be a mensch. There's no bigger covet than to be a mensch than to be a chassid than to go and do chesed beyond the comfort zone that we have set up for ourselves. That's the home stretch. When we go home, we have to stretch ourselves out as far as possible until people see that what a Ben really is, what a base medical Talmud Talmud looks like. A person who is a mensch who wants to do more and better with tremendous kaychas, with his kayak, with his mayach, to be able to accomplish greater than anyone ever expected. That's the Adenu. That's something that we could all accomplish if we just have this mindset of Kimenamaya Mishisiu to be like Maishra Abenu, who made it his life's mission, like Basio, to extend himself out to the fullest, to use and to utilize every single ounce of Kayach that the Rabbani Shalom bestowed upon us. We have a wonderful Shabbos. And a wonderful Ben Azmanim and a Mitzvah Hashem. We look forward to seeing you with Fisher Kaifas, with renewed strength, a Mitzvah Hashem in the coming month.